This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable-ish and a very special mini-series in partnership with Organic UK for Organic September. We've got four great episodes coming up around all things organic with some household names, no less, really flying the flag for the benefits of organic production for us and, importantly, for the planet. We're kicking off with this first episode with something that we might not think of straight away as being part of the organic process, but when we learn a little bit more, we realise that they are actually crucial. Do you know what it is? <laughs> We're talking bees. Did you know that bees and insects are essential pollinators of our food? And in the UK, it would cost a staggering £690 million to pollinate our food crops without insects. And bee and insect populations are crashing. Every square kilometre in the UK has lost an average of 11 species of bee and hoverfly between 1980 and 2013. And encouragingly, plant, insect and bird life is 50% more abundant on organic farms than on conventional farms. I'm chatting to father and daughter team David and Emma Buckley of Buckley's Bees about why bees are so important, how bees and organic work so well together hand in hand, and importantly, how we can help to support these crucial insects. Just a quick heads up before we dive into the main episode. The sound quality, especially at the start of the episode, is a little bit in and out. And there's one part where I think a silage tractor drives past Emma's house where she was sitting on Zoom recording and it does drown out a little bit of what David's saying, but please do bear with. It does improve significantly after that. No more tractors drive past um, and it really is a brilliant and informative episode. So please do bear with for those first few minutes with the sound quality. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to Sustainable-ish, both of you. I'm um, really excited about talking about this subject with you and you guys are absolute experts by all accounts. So um, let's kick things off by asking you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Bookies Bees. Hi, super happy to be here with you guys. Um, so I'm Emma and I um, set up a company called Bookies Bees, which is my last name it's a very original name and, I like the alliteration uh, though it's good I know can you be any more original <laughs> um so I set up the business a few years ago 
basically from my dad's passion, my dad David, who will introduce himself shortly. Um, so I grew up with bees and I have always found them interesting. Um, and then we came on this journey to developing the business where we can give something back, help the bees and try and uh, increase the knowledge of all the humans about how much we need bees and how much they're in decline and what we can do to help them. Yeah, so, so, so you it. said that it was your dad's hobby, but like this is a massive stereotype. In my head, Emma, all beekeepers are, no offence to you, David, are a bit like your dad and like probably older, whether it's male dominated, I'm not sure, but you're quite young and you're a woman. And is that quite, mm-hmm. is that not normal in the beekeeping world or am I just have very outdated um, stereotype of the beekeeping world? Mm. No, I think you're about right there. The average age of a beekeeper is 66 years old. No way. Um, Obviously, I bring down that uh, average slightly. (laughs) Am I allowed (laughs) to ask you how old you are? (laughs) I'm 28 now. Oh, wow. So I graduated from Harper Adams, which is an agricultural university, about six years ago. Mm. And I did an agricultural business degree there. And I always wanted to, you know, put that into play. So Mm. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but with having the bees at home and growing up with the bees, I saw there was a niche there with them, yeah. with the bees declining, people not really knowing about them. And we rely massively on, on the bees and other pollinators for our food. Mm. So for me, in my eyes, there was nothing more important than trying to show everyone how important these amazing little creatures are. And they are absolutely fascinating as well. I know a lot of people just think they're bees and they kind of relate it to wasps and all oh, they're mm. nasty, they're going to sting me. But, I will talk, I'm sure, throughout this podcast about some of the amazing things that the bees get up to. And of course, the queen bee is female. So maybe I'm a bit of a queen bee. (laughs) David, how about you? How did you get into bees then? I got into bees, I suppose, accidentally, really. Um, I was at boarding school and there were some beehives in an old shed had to be disposed of. And unfortunately, the, uh, the groundsmen were going to burn them all. I wasn't a beekeeper, but I said to them, it seems a shame to burn them. Can we not offer them to the beekeeper up the road? Because you could see some beehives in the field up the road. Okay. And uh, the groundsman just simply said, if you can get rid of them in a week, that's fine. Otherwise, they're on the wrong line. Well, I couldn't get rid of them. And this thing up here, that's 54 years of beekeeping that the British Beekeepers Association have recognised me for. Uh, and that's how long I've had bees, and I'm just as passionate and enthusiastic as ever I was. And so were you all kind of self-taught? You just were like, oh, I've got these hives, I'll find some bees and <laughs> make it up as I go along. No, no, um, I, I met this guy who was a lodger at my granny's house, and uh, he'd been a beekeeper, and I told him the story of the hives, and he actually had a book in his room, and he went and got it and offered it to me to read and I started reading and, and that was it, I was hooked. Um, and then of course, learning about the bees, I then wanted bees, so I got to know a beekeeper and he became my mentor, a guy called Beowulf Cooper, and he taught me really everything I needed to know to start beekeeping. But every year from then, I've learned. I learn all the time. Every time I open a hive of bees, there's something new to learn. There's something new to see. It's so exciting because every colony is different. So after 54 years, you're still, you're still learning. That, that sounds 
great. It also sounds quite daunting, I guess, for anybody who's thinking like, oh God, I want to, I want to start doing these, but it's after 54 years, I still won't know everything. <laughs> I guess you never know everything because the, this, this evolution of the insect, it's constantly changing. When I started keeping bees, it was so easy. But now it's so complex with the way agriculture's gone and, and the decline in populations, loss of habitat and so mm. on. Um, and also, I don't know if you've heard of something called Varroa. It's a parasitic plant yes. that's now in the country. Beekeeping is difficult. So hopefully nobody thinks I'll just have a hive of bees at the end of the garden and leave them to it. Can't do that anymore. You used to be able to do it. And we called those beekeepers, let alone beekeepers. Oh, okay. And they had a hive at the end of the garden. They did nothing except take the honey off in the autumn. See, that's my idea of beekeeping. That sounds quite, yeah. quite appealing. <laughs> it wouldn't work, I'm afraid, these days. The, the bees would be dead in 12 months. Oh, wow. We are now the custodian of the honeybee. Beekeepers are the custodian of the honeybee in this country. Um, other bees, of course, are also important. Um, I, I don't just think of honeybees. I think of bumblebees and solitary bees. They're all pollinating insects. Mm. They desperately need flowers to pollinate if they're going to be successful. And there's been such a decline in, in natural pollination that uh, many species are sadly on the brink of extinction. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really want to talk to you guys um, about. Tell us about Buckley's Bees. How did you make bees into a business? Because I think most of us, well, some of us might think, oh, I'd quite like some bees and then I'll go and learn how to keep bees. But, but then to, to create a whole thriving business out of it with lots of different um, really clever income streams as well. When I was having a poke around your website, it's so clever what you've done. So yeah, how did that all come about? So I basically, I wanted to do something that I loved. Um, I wanted to have like a passion for my job and I kind of thought well why not turn a hobby into a job mm. um, and also giving back and they're just so important that it was something really important that I thought we should definitely do. So I first started with this concept of like dad was just saying a lot of people think you can get a hive at the mm. bottom of your garden and leave them to it and just take the honey off but it's just not like that anymore and we came across a lot of beginners that were going on the courses and were a bit too nervous to take the next step to mm. having a hive on their own in their garden because you are then on your own. And there is a lot of, I mean, all the time now, my dad always says to me, I haven't taught you everything I know. Like when we're in the, in the hive, I'm still learning, dad's still learning. The bees don't read the books as well, so they'll yes. do their own thing sometimes. So um, I came up with this concept called Hire a Hive, which is basically the in-between step from doing the practical courses, reading, watching lots of videos, and then getting your own hive. Mm -hmm. This step is basically where people will hire a hive with us at our apiary. So they are they are the main beekeeper for that hive. But then to us on a weekly basis, as you have to throughout the bee season anyway, mm. it's a weekly job that you need to do. And they learn how to be a beekeeper throughout the season, but with us on hand. So we are in the hives with them, teaching them what we would do, how yeah. to deal with these different situations. And that did really well. And I got quite a lot of people that were very interested in that because they've got the support then of us. Yeah. A lot of people then, which was really good, bought their colonies and took them home and have them at home. And that's what we need to increase beekeepers yeah. but also younger generations coming through and I've got oh, there's quite a few younger generations now this time on well it was obviously COVID mm, yeah. play with it but next year uh, we've got quite a few younger people signed up now which is awesome for 
myself to see. And that's such a great idea because I say this a lot about sort of sustainability and sustainable living. You can read all the books you want, do you know, and you can, you can even go on the courses and stuff. But the thing that really, really makes the difference, I think, to actually having the confidence to go and do things and make changes is that support, that handholding, that having yeah. someone there just to ask questions. And we were saying just before we started recording, your dad was saying like, there's no such thing as a stupid question. So having that... Yeah freedom to 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 learn almost is really really so valuable I think yeah it is and we do everything from getting a nuke which is a small colony so we'd breed the person who was on hire a hive we'd breed them a nuke and then they would transfer into their hive and then see it through the season and then even to the point where we even take off the honey and extract it with that Mm. the client as well they get to do all of that jar their honey and take it home as well so they get the whole thing but with a comfort blanket of yes. with them I guess no, I <laughs> so like that, that did yeah. really well we offer the courses as well just like the day courses or the, the afternoon mm-hmm. but all our courses something that we really pride ourselves on is practical and if the weather's not good enough to do practical I will rearrange the course mm-hmm. because I think it's vital for beginners especially but even um intermediates if we're doing um I don't know queen rearing or some other more technical mm things for people to actually do it rather than just hear us talking about it and then uh, I guess as I was doing that I also developed the corporate side of the business which is what um, I've been working with recently with um, Arla and uh, Yo Valley and a few other people uh, well a few other awesome clients um, like Bentley Motors Um, oh wow yeah we put um, what my business does is we site hives at companies on companies um grounds or mm-hmm. wherever they want them for example Arla's they've got them on there the Yo Valley brand they've got them on their organic farms mm-hmm. with the organic farmers so we're spreading the bee population throughout mm-hmm. the UK increasing the bee population and also increasing the knowledge of the bees and why they're so important mm. And that's something that me and dad are definitely both really passionate about is trying to increase the bee populations and getting them back to where they used to be. Yeah. And it's such a clever idea as well, because when you do that with a a corporate, and this is something I've started doing as well with um, corporates is, you know, it's them having their their sort of CSR policies, you know, their sustainability policies is, is, is amazing and is great. And they can do lots of things within their business. But they have a massive amount of power to actually engage their employees and to empower their employees to, to make some changes as well. So if you guys can, you know, they're like, oh, we've got Bookley's Bees coming and doing a beehive and maybe some of their employees go, well, why are we having a beehive? And then that opens up that conversation around bees and how important they are and biodiversity and, and all those things. And, and these people probably wouldn't have or might not have thought about that before and just tick so many boxes, doesn't it? It's such a great idea. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And we get, um, so we do open days for clients as well. If they do that type of thing, obviously COVID's played a bit of a, yeah. you know, game in it this time, but we did an open day for Bentley and we took a glass hive in and oh, they, yeah. like all the members of staff and their families were there and they got to see the bees and we talked about what we're doing and how we're trying to do it. And everyone's just fascinated. Yeah. And they are just fascinating. Did I see on, on the website, on your website as well, that some, you know, the um, companies can then have the jars of honey to you know give away to um, employees or as gifts and that sort of thing and that's a really lovely thing as well yeah it's it's like your own bees have given you 
given you the chance to have that and it's yes. your own corporate honey um, yeah. as well as raising awareness and bee populations which is what we're trying to achieve the honey mm. is an added bonus for yeah. us yeah it's only positive it's all positive yeah. <laughs> and another byproduct that I saw on your website was the the beeswax because obviously in the last I don't know 12 18 months beeswax wraps have just exploded haven't they they're like the favorite thing on the green internet like everybody loves a beeswax wrap and so you sell the actual beeswax so people can make their own and um and and yeah I, I mean I sort of thought about making my own a little while ago but one of the things you know I kind of the thought process I went through was you know I want to make these beeswax wraps I've already got some fabric great I can use that it felt really wrong to then go on somewhere like Amazon and just buy like random beeswax pellets that I don't know where they've come from or where they've been shipped from or anything like that. And, and, but actually it was quite hard to find local or, you know, UK beeswax. And so to know that, that you guys have that and I can kind of come to you and, and know that it's proper, ethical, nice, sustainable beeswax is, is really, really important, I think. Yeah, um, that's something else that we really pride ourselves on is the welfare of our bees. Mm. Um, so we do everything that we can to support the bees in a natural process that they would be doing. For example, we won't take honey off hives um, unless it, there's an absolute excess there mm-hmm. that they definitely don't need for winter. Mm-hmm. Um, we will leave food with the bees if they need it. That's why they've made it. So why would you, yes. you know, take everything from them I don't think that's quite right um so yeah all our wax and all our products are welfare friendly and ethically produced and the yeah. wax is amazing the the smell of the wax we also produce beeswax candles to made to yes. order and aren't they they're just amazing aren't they dad like the smell that they can give our complete natural, natural and they're supposed smell. to be I don't know how true this is but aren't they supposed to kind of like almost clean the air or something I read something about beeswax candles that they're supposed to kind of I can't even remember what it was but it I was like yeah that sounds good I was like <laughs> I'll have some of that. Yeah, yeah, I'll have some of that. <laughs> I, haven't heard the fa- I haven't heard that they clean the air, but what they do do, because they're a natural product, there's no byproducts. Yes. You buy candles and they're paraffin wax candles usually. And of course, as they burn, they give off toxic fumes, mm. black smoke. You don't get that with beeswax candles because it's pure wax from the bee, unadulterated. Yeah. So have you had to learn how to make candles or is that, is that something that you've outsourced to somebody else? No, 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 no. I learned how to do them a long time ago. Wow. And uh, it, it's, it's a very therapeutic exercise making candles. And, uh, you know, once you've made them and you can look at them because you can get different kinds of molds. Oh, yeah. Different shapes. One of my favourites is the beehive. Scale, yes. The straw beehive with the little bees on it. That's a beautiful candle and it burns beautifully as well. So it's one of my favourites. Is the whole yeah. of beekeeping quite a mindful thing to do? It feels like it because, you know, you're, you're outside, you're getting back in touch with nature. You can't, I would imagine that you can't rush the bees. You can't, you know, you've got to kind of, you've got to slow down, I guess. Yeah, you've got to go hand in hand with the bees. Yes. The bee season is, is early spring through to around about the end of July, August. And the bees have that little window every 12 months is a window of five months where they have to get their honey crops. They have to reproduce and hopefully provide a little bit of honey. And if you don't work hand in hand with them and go at their pace, you're not going to go at all. Mm. Weather is the critical thing with the bees. 
if you try and do something when the weather's not right, the bees won't thank you for it. <laughs> so yes, hand in hand with the bees. But it's interesting being outside. One of one of the main things for mental health these days mm. is about going outside and getting the green experience. Well, if you've got a colony of bees, just go and stand and watch them each evening after work, and it's therapy in itself. Yeah, I the bet. Old-fashioned therapy used to be to have a tank of tropical fish and just stand and watch them. And yeah. Bring you down. If you go down to the beehive and just watch. I, I worked, as I said, with special needs children who were incredibly demanding because of their own behaviours. Mm. And at the end of the day, before I came back into the house after work, I would go and stand in the apiary and I would just watch the bees for five, ten minutes, looking at the, col the, the, the colony, the pollen that's coming in, colours of pollen, the speed yeah. that they're moving, whatever's happening at the hive entrance is so therapeutic. It's all almost hypnotic. I was fit then to go and be <laughs> part of the family and see my girls. <laughs> Take oh, on whatever we threw at you when you came <laughs> through the front door. <laughs> now, we're doing this. This episode is part of this mini series with the Organic Trade Board around Organic September. So what's the link between bees and organic? And, you know, what's the why is organic important to bees and why are bees important to organic, I guess? Well, bees can only exist organically. If you think about the bee and the hunter gatherer, when we were hunter gatherers, there were no chemicals. Mm -hmm. The bees were natural. We were natural. We collected fruit. We um you know, harvested whatever nature offered us, and that was the organic way. When man started to become a farmer, we started to interrupt the natural organic flow. Uh, we started to sort of cut down forests, and mm. make bigger fields, and so on. And and the drive was always for more food. So more food, particularly after the Second World War, meant ploughing up fields, ploughing up wildflower meadows. We've only got 2% of the original wildflower meadow left. That we I had. saw that on your website. That's mental. Say that, say that stat again. We've only got... We've only got 2% of natural wildflower meadow left in this country from what we had at the beginning of the 1900s. That is tragic. I mean, there's a massive decline in all kinds of insects because the wildflowers have been ploughed, they've been sprayed, and farming is is the main culprit because um, they use pesticides. Pesticides kill all kinds of invertebrates, and insects are invertebrates. And they also use herbicides, which are weed killers. Mm -hmm. They use herbicides to kill weeds. Weeds are wildflowers. Yeah. Wildflowers are part of the bee's natural cycle of, of food production. And if the weeds have been sprayed out of the fields there's nothing for the bees to harvest. Yeah. And if you look across, certainly across some of our fields that, around here, we're in Cheshire, it's a green county, but it's literally green. And I say to Em, it's like a green desert. There's right. Flowers. Sort of like a monoculture. Yeah. The bees can only survive if there's flowers. There's nothing else for them. They're not like wasps. Mm can survive if there's flowers if there's fruit they 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 can kill insects to feed their their young but bees can't they totally depend on pollen and nectar for us I, i've got a little small holding here and the hedges have not been cut for 40 years wow in spring it's absolutely amazing we we've got over five different species of hardwood 
in our hedges and they flower, they have blossoms, the flowers turn into fruit and berries, which is part of the organic thing, so that attracts birds. Yeah. Insects are attracted to it. It's, it's just so different. Yeah, and I guess when you've got these big monocultures, the, the problem is they it all flowers at the same time, so there might be like a few weeks where there's lots of flowers and then and then nothing. Whereas what what you're saying is they need. I remember you know spring this year people saying like don't cut your don't mow your lawns don't pull your da- your dandelions out because they're one of the first flowers that come out for the bees. So it's really really important. So uh, yeah, just just even thinking about that that they need flowers throughout that five month season. And as you say, when we have these big monocrops and we have these pesticides and things, one of the things that people might have heard about is and I'm going to say it wrong, neonicotinoids. Yeah, neonicotinoids. That's the seed dressing that is put on crops like oilseed rape. Right. And, and the idea is that the seed dressing is a natural insecticide so that when the oilseed rape grows and flowers, the insecticide that was put on the seed kills something called pollen beetle. So if it kills pollen beetle, which is an insect it's going to affect other insects. Right. Bees, it's been proved that bees are affected with this uh, particular insecticide and, and it affects them in, the, in their brains. They fly from the hive to collect nectar and pollen and if they're exposed to this neonicotinoids, neonicotinoids. <laughs> it's a hard one. <laughs> it's a hard one, it is. They very often become unable to find their way home affects their, if you like, it affects their sat-nav. They can't get home. So the foragers don't come home, so the colony collapses and dies. Wow. Um, And there is proof, there's evidential proof that that this is one of the problems with it. Yeah. So so we we have to be careful what we use. But again, uh, bees need a minimum of six types of pollen to rear healthy brood. No way. Now, if there's only one crop, oilseed rape, and everything yeah. else has been sprayed and the hedges have been flattened or taken yeah. out in some cases, then the brood can't be healthy. So, so yes, the dandelion is, is one of my firm favourites. Yeah. It's very important for the bees in spring. Um, gardeners look at it as a weed, but to me it's a wildflower and the bees need it. And yeah. they need a succession of wildflowers all the way through the season. Yeah. And with organic farming, obviously, there's you don't have the same issues with pesticides. But and we, I think we're going to talk more about this in another episode. But there is generally more biodiversity, isn't there, on, on organic farms. So there will be, as you say, more wildflowers. There will be more opportunities for your bees to find these different types of nectar that they need. I was reading an article from the Soil Association, actually, which interestingly said, on average, um, plant, insect and bird life is 50% more in abundance wow. on a, organic farms. Wow. So that that statistic alone is amazing, right? Should... Yeah. And one of, one of um, Emma's clients through the Arla thing, the organic Arla, is that the, the farmers are producing crops that fix nitrogen naturally yeah clover is one of the most important plants for that white clover and red clover they fix nitrogen it's free nitrogen and on this particular farm when we we went to look at the site we were amazed at the amount of insects in the crop because it was flowering Mm. and it was absolutely amazing how many insects there were so nature can bounce back if man will give it a chance yeah so we're talking, you know, we're talking about organic in terms of 
farmers and producers and things but you know for us at home with our little patches of garden I was really surprised I read a something I think it might have been from Plant Life the charity saying that if we can have two lengths of grass in our garden so one that's just left to go wild and then another shorter patch but that we only mow that once every four weeks that's the kind of optimum for clover and all these things that that you know we all I guess in, in the old days, and some people still do aim for this pristine, you know, as you say, sort of monoculture grass lawn. But what we really want is, my lawn is a testament to this with all its clover, um, but lots of, you know, different plants for the bees to come to. And, and just by doing those things, having those two different levels of grass, I think they said you could increase the bee population um, in your garden by 10 times. So that was amazing. Yeah, well, if there's flowers, the bees will come. If there's no flowers, you won't see them. Yeah. So it's a case of, you know, producing flowers that the bees will come for. Yeah. Everybody, even the window box, can provide something. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, herbs. Yes, and we had some herbs as well. sage, I think, that might have gone to seed or something. They loved that. So, yeah, as you, and, and the herbs are doubling up then, aren't they? You can have some herbs in your window box and you're getting a bit of free food as well. So... We've talked a little bit, we talked about those, uh, the pesticides and the sort of lack of biodiversity, but why are bees, what are some of the other reasons why bees are in decline? And it's not just bees, is it? It's other pollinators as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of um, insects. Uh, the, let's put it this way. When I, when I was young, many years ago, and I went out in the car. I was, I was going to say this to you, yes. You know, the front of the car would be covered in squished flies or insects that you've driven into along the road yeah intentional now you never get that no that's how much the population of insects has, de has declined but again i come back to the monoculture in the majority of the farms also hedgerow removal was a big factor mm -hmm. and also the management of the hedge if every farmer would would sign up to cutting his hedge once every three years in a three-year cycle insect populations would vastly increase because it takes two years for a, a hedgerow species to flower. Mm -hmm. This year's wood will flower next year, but if it's flailed off this time, it won't flower next year. Because I was just about to say to you, well, hedgerows don't really flower. What's the? But I guess we never see them flowering because they're no. they're cut every year. So come and see mine in spring. I've, I've got things. I, I've got hazel in mine. I've got blackthorn. I've got hawthorn. It's just amazing what we've got in there. blackberries. Yes. are one of the most important plants to bees. Uh, and, and Emmy and I always say, if there's a canal or a, a railway embankment, you've got good bee forage because they, they're left alone. Ah. I'm sure they're organic. Yes. Right, this is good. This is my first potentially stupid question. You might think all the other questions have been stupid as well, but you mentioned wasps. Like when, when I think about bees, I probably think about bumblebees. You think about that kind of cute, fat, round fluffy um, and honeybees aren't, don't look like that do they i would say honeybees look a bit more like wasps so how do we tell a honeybee from a wasp okay it, it's quite simple really a wasp is black and yellow striped mm -hmm. they're always black and bright yellow almost the, the yellow of your of your um shoulder yeah right that's that's the yellow of a wasp and it's black and yellow striped also if you look carefully wasps are bald they have no hair right Bees, bumblebees, honeybees are hairy. Okay. Uh, honeybees are a similar size to the worker wasp, but also they're, they're hairy and they're usually brown or black striped. Okay. Definitely not yellow striped. Yeah. Brilliant. And that's how they bees are great at pollinating is because their hairs 
they brush it into a flower and all the pollen gets onto them and then they go on to the next flower with the pollen stuck yeah. in their hairs. So that's how they uh, naturally pollinate for us. So all this worry about bees declining, this again might be a really obvious stupid question. Why is that a problem? Because bees produce approximately 80% of our food. No. They do. Pollination, if you think about it, how many things do you eat that have been pollinated? Virtually all your top fruit has been pollinated. Yeah. So bees are prime pollinators. They're not the only pollinator, but bees are the prime pollinators. And they say that one mouthful in five is not pollinated. So four mouthsful are pollinated. So think about apples. If it wasn't, if the flowers weren't pollinated, there'd be no apples. Mm. There'd be no pears. There'd be no raspberries. There'd be no strawberries. You know, think holistically that we depend on flowers being pollinated to get our fruit. Because at the end of the day, fruit is just a seed. Yeah. Plant produces that seed to propagate itself. It entices the bee to come to it for the sweet nectar. Yeah. Accidentally, the bee, as Emmy's just said, collect pollen on its hairs. Accidentally pollinates the next flower it goes to by the pollen being brushed off onto the next flower, and so on. But bees, in particular, are what we call monopollinators. If a bee leaves the hive in the morning to forage, it will only forage, for example, on apples. Ah, so it will then cross-pollinate all the apples. Absolutely. And then when it comes home and, and uh, it changes its species, it might go out, but it will maybe only go on pears. Yeah. Or only go on raspberries or whatever. Mm -hmm. So each flight from the hive, they will go to a monocrop of their own. So they serve so clever crop with pollination services. Yeah. There aren't any other insects that do that because all the other insects are random pollinators. Yeah which means they'll go to any flower that's pollinated. That yeah. And there's a quote, I think, on your website, isn't there? Was it by Einstein about if bees died out, we'd only have four years to live or something? And I, I don't know if you guys know whether that's sort of accurate, but it strikes me that in the same way as humans, with all our technical wizardry, still haven't invented anything better than the tree for sucking carbon out of the air, like we're probably never going to be able to invent anything as effective as the bumblebee for pollinating our own food are we no interestingly though um china have uh, unfortunately pretty much wiped out their insects entire insect wow. system um and they've actually been trying to manually pollinate crops i have a cost here that wow. um, it says that uh, on again on the, the soil association released a cost that it would probably cost 1.8 billion just in the UK, for us to manually pollinate our crops in the UK wow. a year. And if you think about manual pollination, they're literally pollinating yeah. by hand. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound like the so job it probably <laughs> No, and it probably wouldn't be as productive as a bee anyway. So yeah. you probably wouldn't get, instead of the five apples, you'd get two maybe. Yeah. It's not that we would die out, it's that our diet would be completely changed. Yeah. We would, we would end up with a plant-based diet of cereals. Right. Cereals are wind-pollinated. Ah. Anything that needs an intermediary like a bee, that wouldn't be there if yeah. it all disappeared. So you wouldn't have any fruit, you wouldn't have any pears, you wouldn't have any apples, yeah. raspberries and so on. So it's about the, the diet that we would have. And just as we said, the bee needs at least six pollens to rear healthy brood, we need... A variety in our yes, yeah. 
so that's the kind of the the, the parallel with the B and us. Yeah, and you you mentioned that massive decline we've seen in the wild sort of flower meadows um, across the country. Have you got any figures around the the decline in bees, like the decline in bee numbers, and how quickly or otherwise that's happening? It's it started to happen certainly in the British Isles in the late 80s, 90s. Wow, that recently? Yeah, the decline became that obvious. And that was also, for us, with honeybees associated with varroa mites. Right. Uh, the mites were the vectors, that means they're the carriers, if you like, the thing that caused viruses, which were endemic here. The bees could understand the viruses before this mite came along, but this mite came along and when it bites the bee, the larva, it debilitates the larva in such a way that the viruses can get in. Okay. So that's what a vector is. It's something that makes something else happen more quickly. And and was that the sort of um, the catalyst almost? And I guess maybe if that happened alongside seeing a rise in more intensive farming and changes in agriculture and things like that, it's, it's a kind of real double whammy for them. Yeah, well, specifically for the honeybee, yeah, that's where, where when I'm talking about varroa, that's specific to the honeybee. Is it? Um, but it's the habitat destruction that's caused the massive decline. Mm. They sort of cite global warming, but I don't go with that one because all over the world there's different climates. Right, yes. Successful everywhere except in the Arctic and the Antarctic. Yeah. I don't go with the global warming one, but I certainly do go with, uh, you know, the interference of the of the natural order. And the natural order is that we haven't got the biodiverse flowers throughout the season. Yeah. That's what's caused the decline in most species of insect. But you can see the knock-on to birds. Yeah. Populations have crashed. Why? Because of the insect population. Yeah. The insect populations crashed because there aren't the wild flowers to support them. So yeah. it's a vicious circle and you, you create the balance again by being organic minded, by mm -hmm. having a variety uh, and allowing some things just to be natural. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Emma, you mentioned earlier that your your bees and your beeswax and your honey is all harvested kind of ethically and sustainably. Do bees get harmed when honey is made? Do they get killed during the process? Because I know vegans won't eat bees and I and I sometimes can't get my head around why that is. Won't eat bees, won't eat honey. Who would eat bees? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, who would eat bees? Um, it is, um, I think it's the process that the vegans aren't don't like is because it actually comes out of the, the bee's body. It's secreted. Yeah. Right. You know, they essentially give it out. So yeah. I think it's a similar concept. So with it's an the, animal product, The milk from a cow. Yeah. 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 However, it's very different to a milk milk of a cow. It's not made in the same way mm -hmm. or anything like that. So, I think that's um, why vegans are aren't particularly favourable to it. Um, but no, nobody should be harmed in making honey. It's something that they would naturally be doing anyway. It's what they naturally do. All we do as beekeepers is take excess. Mm -hmm. What we should be all beekeepers should be doing is taking excess, so stuff that the bees don't need. Yeah. And that's why I can say that, you know, we're ethical to the bees because we so won't take The harvesting of it doesn't squash them or anything like that? No, what we do is, um, what we actually do is put, so you have the, the makeup of a hive is basically you have a brood box at the bottom, which is where your queen is um, mm -hmm. and the rearing colony. You then have something called a queen excluder. 
which stops, which basically a board which looks as like a, a bit like a cattle grid. I don't know if you know what that yeah. but it's so the queen can't get through. So she's in the bottom box. Now she wouldn't naturally leave the hive anyway. She'd go out on a mating flight and then come home and then stay home yeah. for the rest of her life, unless she was obviously going to swarm. That's another concept. Yeah. That's another thing altogether. Um, but the queen can't go upstairs. Now upstairs are the boxes where the honey is. They're called supers. So the queen can't go up and lay eggs in the super honey boxes. Right. So when a beekeeper comes along to take away any excess honey, they're not actually taking away any bees or brood or damaging the colony in any way by taking away brood because all the baby bees are downstairs. Mm -hmm. The whole reproductive system is downstairs. Right. Now, before you take honey away as well, you put something on called a clearer board, which means... Um, the board sits underneath the honey boxes that you're taking off, taking off, sorry. Mm. And um, so the bees in those boxes can go down and get out of the box, but mm. they can't come back. So right. when you take away that box, there should be no bees, no bees. in that box. Ah. And you take the honey off and, yeah. and then you extract it without harming any bees. Yeah. Now, I asked in my Sustainable-ish Facebook group if people had questions about organic. And a couple of people mentioned this use of, and I don't know if you guys have heard the phrase, kamikaze bees. So they talked about the fact that apparently in like California and stuff where they've got the almond crops and things, they ship in these kind of hives of bees to pollinate them. Um, and then and then these bees just sort of die off when the when the crop develops and there's nothing for them to feed on. Like, is that something that you've heard of? Is that something that's done in the UK? Like, how can we, how can we know if that's how crops have been fertilised, I guess? Well, thankfully, it's not done in, in the UK to the same extent. If we think about the almond crops, what happens there is colonies of bees are put on articulated lorries by, with forklift trucks, and they're taken to the almond crops in the south, and they're offloaded, the bees pollinate the almond crop. Now, before the almond crop flowers, the farmers have sprayed all the wild flowers from underneath the trees. So there's no other pollen. There's only almonds. Mm. So the bees work it. And as I said earlier, they need a minimum of six types yeah. of pollen to rear healthy brood. So the bees that are produced from almond um, harvesting, almond farming and pollination are very very weak they're undernourished mm. to the point of malnutrition so the colonies die and american beekeepers lose over 40 percent of their colonies through the there's something called colony collapse disorder wow. but this this again monocropping giving the mm. bees nothing but even worse is the bees are loaded up and then they're taken on to yet another almond crop oh. going north so they follow the almond crops yeah so, so when you talk about um, the decimation of the bee, this is a classic example of the bees not being respected as animals or yeah. insects. They're being treated as a commodity. A yeah, like a vehicle for us to... And yeah, definitely not. They do an amazing job of work pollinating, but they get no help on the, on the almond pollination circuit. Wow. In our country, yeah, bees go down to Kent, particularly for pollination services, Hopefully the orchard growers are now becoming aware that the bees do need some of the wildflowers in their orchards. Otherwise, the bees will not necessarily pollinate the apples. They'll, they'll hop next door and go and 
work the old seed rate that belongs to somebody else or right. go and find something else. But if you give them a diverse population of flowers, mm. you get healthy bees. And if you've got healthy bees, you're going to obviously get better pollination, more honey, and, and so on. So it's, it's about a variety. Yeah. What type of food? And they will also fly about three miles um, to look and collect uh, mm. supplies. So they will look for it if it's there. If there's a yeah. good diverse pasture places for them, they'll go. So if we're in the supermarket and we're looking at honey, there's a big range, isn't there, in price um, between... I probably shouldn't say brand names and things, but you know, like there will be some really sort of cheap honey. And then if you're looking for something that's labeled maybe British honey or whatever, it sometimes you think, Oh, like that's a lot more expensive. How, how can we make good decisions as consumers about the, the honey that we're buying? What should we look out for? Or where, where should we go to buy our honey? I guess. Personally, the best way for you, the best place for you to go is to a local yeah. beekeeper. And if you don't, know a local beekeeper from your village or your area then i mean feel free to always contact me (laughs) the best place you can go is buckley's bees (laughs) Bees. but but if you are buying supermarket honey something that you really must look out for on your label is um make sure your honey is not a blend a blended honey and it often says blended honey from non-eu countries which means your honey jar could have honey coming in from all over the world and it could have all sorts of stuff in that isn't necessarily the stuff that we're not allowed to necessarily use on our bees in this mm. country the other thing as well is make sure you look out for the percentage of real honey in your jar because a lot of cheaper versions is actually bulked up with sugar syrups so you're not actually getting real pure honey and this That's is something cheeky. that i yeah, real cheeky. I battle with this every single day. When we go out to the shows and we're out with our stand with our honey, a lot of people say, oh, I don't like honey. And I go, have you tried real honey? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we get it on our porridge or the kids mm-hmm. have it or whatever. I was like, well, just try, just try this. Try our honey. And the amount of people that go, oh, what? Like, this is, doesn't taste like anything we've ever had before. And that's because they're not having the proper, well, not not proper wrong word but the pure yeah real natural honey straight from the hive but we don't do anything to our honey we just jar it yeah <laughs> it needs to not say blended and we need to look that it's 100 percent honey amazing yeah. Yeah. um uk as well yes yeah 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 this this might put you on the spot a little bit kind of can you come up with like three things that we can do as consumers to help support bee populations the things that I would come up with are try and plant plants that bees like. Now, if you look at the um, companies like Thompson & Morgan and Webbs, they actually do flower mixes for bees. Look for the little bee on the flower packet. Yeah. And just sow a few of those seeds in, in any border that you've got. If you haven't got a garden, a window box is absolutely fine. Yeah. So it's about planting the right things for the bees. If you have a lawn or a hedge, don't cut it and uh, manicure it. Let it grow flowers and wait until the flowers have seeded before you actually cut it. Yeah. Same with the hedge. The lawn and the hedge can go hand in hand. And I would also say feed the birds because they desperately need it because the insects are in such decline. Oh, I love that. So um, 
look out for bee friendly flowers and you guys have bee bombs on your website as well don't you which i thought was a, a really yeah. clever thing so little um are they sort of a mix of clay and soil and stuff aren't they and flower seeds and people can just knob, yeah. knob them in they're there. made they're Go made on. in the uk uh so supporting british as well uh, they're amazing we've planted a lot around our apiary and our bees love it and something else as well i would just mention that um if you ask your garden centre if you're wanting to plant bee-friendly plants, just make sure that their plants haven't been pre-treated with uh, pesticides and then no avoid way. using kind of, yeah, avoid using insecticides as well to, yeah. you know, control pests in your garden. But definitely try and get non-pre-treated plants because that's something people fall off on. Fall off yeah, on no, well. I didn't have even thought um, that that was that was a thing wow yeah so, and plant some herbs you get the benefit of using fresh herbs in your cooking as well and the bees love them and they love lavender don't they yes yeah oh and something else you can do as well just firing them out there is um if you if you love watching the bees is you can actually put a little water you know we have a very uh, small dog bowl as such yeah. but a little container or bird bath with some marbles in just fill the water level up to halfway up the marble and the bees will probably come and sit on the marbles and drink from your your drinkers oh wow well, that that's will help really other nice insects idea. as well amazing yeah. i love these tips thank you guys so where can we come and find out more about buckley's bees and and sign up for courses and get higher hives and get bee bombs and honey and beeswax and all these amazing things you're doing <laughs> Uh, well, you can visit our website, which is www.buckleysbees.com. Um, you can email us in at hello at buckleysbees. We are hoping to do some kind of online videos and podcasts ourselves, obviously, because we've not been able to do practicals, but we do go into schools and yeah. we are out and about and we're all over the country now with amazing businesses and clients that are signing up to help the bees through us. So I'm sure you'll see us around. And you're on Instagram as well, aren't you? Oh yes, Instagram, social media. Yeah, add me, follow me. Yeah, you'll see what we get. You know, I to. love your Instagram feed. It's brilliant, and um, like, <laughs> oh look, there's a swarm of bees, and and here's, it's really lovely, and it's really educational as well. And and the bit you said earlier about well, the bees don't read the book. I think I read that on one of your Instagram posts because they'd swarmed, hadn't they, at the time they weren't supposed yeah. to or something. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, they're always um, testing us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for your time and sharing your amazing expertise. And like you said, we just need to spread the word, don't we? We need to look after our bees and, and spread the word about just quite how important they are and do our bit to help them. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. you wonderful sack of loveliness with me Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is, I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.